Cinematic Void Podcast. Cinematic Void is a cult film series that hosts screenings in the Los Angeles area as well as virtually. I'm your host, Jim Branscombe, and joining me as always is... Hey, it's Nick Vance, Paranormal Futures. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com, as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all major podcast platforms. If you want to support The Void, you can consider joining our Patreon, not only to get cool perks, but you make this podcast, as well as the Cinematness movie, possible. Line that bank account. Back back that truck up. Back that truck up. Bring that dump dump truck full of money and just put it in my yard. Let's go. So what are we talking about today that's aside from dump trucks full of money? Well, we aren't talking about dump trucks full of money. Although that'd be a nice thing to come home to, but we're actually talking about twins. When I say that I think of that what was it like Bud Light or one of those commercials, like one of those beer commercials like they're like, and twins. Do you remember that shit at all? No, not not at all, not at all. Um, really? Yeah. Man. But it's twins. I think twins were twins a big deal. Like I feel like twins were a big deal in the eighties. That same way that we keep talking about this, like 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 quicksand and like, wet t-shirt. You know what I mean? Like twins were were an eighties trope. Where I, where I feel like that was something that was used quite a bit, and and maybe maybe I personally have just always been fascinated with the idea of twins, and I still remember like I can't remember anyone that I went to elementary school with except for two hot twins, <laughs> Layla and Londa Lavender. Shout out to both of you. <laughs> I remember none of my schoolmates from elementary school whatsoever except for this twin, these twins. Well, I mean, twins have just always been a big part of my life. I mean, I guess twins were big in the. 80s obviously yeah the minnesota twins with kirby puckett they were pretty big in the 80s i guess kirby puckett didn't have a twin as far as i know but i like how we're now i've now invoked baseball where we claim we don't know shit about it but then we yeah. still somehow whatever were there any twins that played baseball at the together same time maybe even the same team that's a good question it probably has been there ha there has to been but there was other twins in the 80s too there was the barbarian brothers there was um they used to double mint gum commercial. Used to have twins. I think they had multiple twins. Oh yeah. In it. Oh for sure. Yeah, like it, obviously the movie Twins. There are twins festivals. Really? That you can go to where it's just yeah. You can you can Google it and it's just like a group pick of like twins, bro. It's sick. It's sick. <laughs> like I just want to. I want to be the guy there taking photos. Like I want, but like hiding in a bush, <laughs> not the photographer. You got, you, got, you got a twin kink, bro. Maybe, but like it's not—it's not sexual. It's not sexual. It's just I'm just a twin voyeur. 
you know? Tell I that just, to I the just, Lavender sisters. I just want to <laughs> see them do what, whatever the fuck they're doing. I mean, I'm sure twins, I mean, I mean, I don't think they're all synchronized. Is that what you think they're all going to like? I don't think anything. I just want to watch. <laughs> just, I just want to watch. Yeah. Fucking weirdos. <laughs> you fucking freaks. I hate them. I hate twins. <laughs> well. That's not true. I don't. I don't. No, I, I think you really love twins, which makes today's topic very apt because we were talking about twins. We were talking about two movies with twins, although they do something different with both these twins or both sets of twins in this movie. Actually, I think there's another set of twins in Dead Ringers. There's twin hookers. A lot of twins in this. That's why we're calling this twinning. But, you know, I this is kind of an episode that came about because you're like, why you make me watch so much fucking like trash? Oh, no, I wouldn't say a thing like that. You have, and it's on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, cool, man. That's Can we watch something that's not complete garbage? And you came through with both of these. Absolutely. I mean... It's no meatballs too in Sleepaway Camp too, but I okay, think... that episode also rocked totally, <laughs> like for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm here. You're here. So yeah, we're talking about twins, but before we get into that, we should do a little recap of what we've been up to since the last time we did a podcast. So yeah, what you've been up to? I I heard you've been on the ones and twos projecting wise. Oh yeah, I've been. I'm, I'm uh, doing a little projecting at the theater these days. L- a little bit. I'm yeah, hitting the fucking hitting the changeovers, bro. What'd you do Thread, that? Threading up. Threading up. Damn. Look at you, man. You, you know? But, but yeah, man, we've been, uh, I've been in the booth a bunch for, for both 35 and 70 screenings. I'll probably be there for Spartacus this Sunday. I'm Spartacus. I, I'm, that, that, that's I'm, my, that's my no terrible, clue. like Tony Curtis. Sorry. You did a great job. I have no clue. It's not Tony. It, it, that Tony <laughs> Curtis is about as good as your fucking Jimmy Stewart. So. I'll find out on Sunday. Okay. <laughs> So then you probably get to project some of the Void shows, and then you will be forced to watch Trash. Hell yeah. And and just like usual, just not pay attention to any of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 50 plus episodes, and like there's been like maybe three movies that you like paid attention to. Nah, that's not true. I paid attention. It was but, like but, Jacko. But how many have I liked? I don't know. That's what you got your letterbox for. I assume you still have that part of your social media. Yeah, the only thing that's important. Well, yeah, because no one can message you. Fuck yeah. You can turn off comments and no one Dude, can comment on your shit. No one can like your post if you don't want to. You can just, I just I just enjoy this fucking, like, you know, I'm off the grid, except litter box, so people can see what I'm fucking watching. It's been, it's been really sick to just not talk to anyone, I guess, is, is actually ultimately what, it's, what, become, what it became. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, at first I thought I was just like, oh, yeah, I'll be off social media. I'm not looking at it all the time. I'm not looking at the endless grid, the fucking, you know, it's a fucking, uh, the fucking doom scroll of shit. It's a doom scroll, but it's a, you know, it, it's just, it's a fucking slot machine. Well, it is. And, uh, but, but I also realized that like, I mostly use Instagram for messaging. So I basically just told like all my friends that I talk to like every day, all day. I'm not going to talk to you for a while. <laughs> like, leave me the fuck alone. So, I mean, it's not we like we don't you text don't... each other. Like we only, we instant message each other or whatever the fuck. Like, that's true. I mean, te- don't text me, bro. I text you all the time. Well, I guess it's different, but you didn't, you did send me a lot of messages on Instagram. Yeah, I've, I've been having a little bit of, I'm having a little, little, yeah, little vacation, you know, a little vacation, a little, little staycation, staycation. I'm here. I'm, I'm working. You're working, but don't fucking talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's probably good. It's, you know, social media is just fucking a suck hole. It's been nice. Yeah. I just had a little reprieve from everyone, but I'm watching some t- fucking twins movies. Yeah. 
watching some twins, find out where some twins have a convention so you can go spy on. Hell yeah. Layla and Londa. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a creepy joke. (laughs) They they do exist. (laughs) What if if all that... This is uh, people I went to school with in Delaware. In Delaware. In Smyrna, Delaware. Well, we, you know... Shout out. Speaking of twins... (laughs) Our graphic arts teacher, Miss Shiverall, she had a twin sister. I, I'm convinced that she occasionally had her like twin sister come and sub in. In the neighborhood I grew up, there was a, there was a set of twins, Sammy and Danny. <laughs> They're always creepy like that too, right? You gotta have some fucking rhyming ass names. Get the fuck out of here. That, that's the parents that did that <laughs> shit. Well, yeah, for sure. But like, still, fuck you. Fuck off. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're twins. You don't have to have rhyming names. <laughs> I don't know why I, I have a I have some animosity towards twins as well. As I, I'm just so fa- I'm fascinated. You, you like I, twins? You don't like how they're named? Like fuck, Sammy and Danny, bro. Yeah, that that is a bit much. Just, Come on, man. Just you could call one like Stewart and like Godfrey. <laughs> I don't know, man. But sh- shout out Sammy and Danny Graphius. You're out. You're out there. <laughs> But yeah, like, so back to Miss Shiverall because like I th- I think her um, Dude, what was it? What was her rhyming ass sister's name? I think Mon- they... Monica and fucking. Was it? What do you got? What do you got? What rhymes with Monica? Veronica? Monica and Veronica? No, it wasn't. Ding ding Veronica. ding! I'll fucking take it. <laughs> it's, it's the only thing I think of that rhymes. That's actually like... that's a reasonable response that it... I had. I did not have. I had like Monica. <laughs> Monica. <laughs> <laughs> Yamaka, Yamaka, and Monica. <laughs> yes, because she's a traditional Jewish piece of headwear. <laughs> Just some weird ass parents naming their kid fucking Yamaka. I mean, you never know now. But like, I, I, the, the way I figured out that she would occasionally have her twin sister sub to because like she would occasionally come in with really dark eye makeup, but not all the time. God damn. There were some days where it's just like some days you roll in and she's like, yeah, I'm teaching this shit. And then some days you'd roll in and it was straight up like I'm rolling out this fucking TV cart. Yeah. We're chilling today. And I mean, so, I mean, I imagine that's probably a pretty good clue. That, nah, like, it's I, the I, sister. I feel like the one with the darker eye makeup, the Veronica, even though I don't think that's a real name, but like with the, the, the one twin, the one that wasn't actually on the, the fucking payroll of like Harper Technical High School or whatever. Hell yeah. Jennifer. Jennifer. Maybe that could maybe I don't know what it is. I can't remember. I've for sure stalked them both on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but not anymore. But I can't remember her name. Anyway, but like Melissa or something. It might be just Monica Melissa. The fuck. <laughs> is it, yeah, it's 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 probably you know, it's it's two M's for sure. Yeah. And an alliteration. <laughs> but I always thought when I also noticed Miss Chevrolet was a little bit meaner when she had the dark eye makeup. Okay. Maybe, or maybe I'm just misremembering that. Or maybe I'm just trying to create fucking conspiracy theories about her fucking high school graphic arts teacher. Hell yeah. Never know. It also reminds me of a time when the Secret Service, who've been in the news lately, I don't know if you've seen that. No. Oh yeah, you're not social media, <laughs> yeah. so you haven't seen that. But, so for years, we might have already told this story on the podcast, but um, because we worked in graphic arts and printing and we had offset pr- printing presses, we would get a yearly visit from the Secret Service because if you ever seen to live and die in L.A., you know the other job for the Secret Service is with the Treasury Department, and they go after counterfeiters. So we had the Secret Service come up and tell us not to get into counterfeiting, because the number one way to counterfeit money is using an offset press. But when they told us 
not to counterfeit. They then told us how to counterfeit. Pretty much. They're like, well, sometimes, you know, you know, you bleach the money and like, you know, it's just giving the fucking tips. And like, I feel like we're all right. No, it's a special kind of green with a special like metallic. Yeah. In there. Like, you know, they're like giving you the, the exact ingredients and the, and it's, this is used. And you want to make sure. Yeah. I, it's I, insane. I remember they showed some fucking like video where like someone brought like a counterfeit a hundred dollar bill and was trying to cash it at the bank. And the guy runs off and like, stop him, Steve. He he has a fake $100 bill. And we're all laughing. The Secret Service guy was just laughing to us like, yeah, this video fucking sucks. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just like, imagine pulling that card. Like, all right, all right. I don't even know what they call Secret Service. They're officer or general or they have, or they're just like agent. I think they're just agent. All right. Secret agent. Yeah, secret agent. All right, agent. Bonica or whatever. <laughs> whatever. You pull the card where you have to go to a high school graphic arts class and tell them not to counterfeit. Oh, okay. So Monica and Ronica were CIA. Could be. Or Secret Service. Maybe. Well, they were Canadian, though. So I guess they wouldn't be Secret Service. I wish she told me her favorite film was Blazing Saddles, and as a teenager, I thought she was racist. Hmm. Yeah, that's a fair That's a fair. Maybe that's your favorite movie. You're probably just a racist. Yeah. Cause now, I, I kind of take that back because, I mean, it's, for sure, like a fucking great, one of the greatest comedies of all time. But, yeah, but it's it's just like in the context, like yeah, man, the funniest I mean, movie my, ever. That's the funniest. That, yeah, you know the funniest movie <laughs> ever seen, Triumph of the Will. But like, I know, <laughs> not not that Blazing Saddles and like that. It it it's a commentary, but like also. Mm-hmm. But you could see, you could see just someone who's just racist being like, that's also fucking hilarious. Oh yeah, you know I mean the same way that like Chappelle, Chappelle, show. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Yep. Where people like kind of miss the bigger context of yeah. it and just laugh at the obvious low hanging fruit aspect of it. Could be. I don't know if her graphics arts teacher was racist. I'm going to say probably not, just so the off chance that somehow her or her twin sister, or maybe there was three of them. Yeah, we got to do a follow up triplets episode. I don't. Is there a movie with fucking triplets? We'll find them. But anyway. Yeah, so that's. I. I don't even know what the fuck we're talking about. Yeah, we just, what is this? What, what is, is this? What are we doing here? <laughs> we're podcasting. <laughs> okay. We're just shooting. Is it, are we recording? We are recording. Right, we're recording. We're recording. Right, so we're here today to talk about uh, two tw- uh, films about twins. Yep. And then we're and and then we are we were talking about what we were doing, but somehow I guess it's my fault. I started this tangent. We're counterfeiting money. Yeah, we're talking about counterfeiting money. I guess I should also talk about like things void is up up to have been up to i think last time we recorded we were pretty early on in camp void and as this recording we're actually getting ready to close out camp void just this past week we showed dark august which was a beautiful fucking print it was a original print from 76 it was on fuji stock and i for those you don't know fuji doesn't fade like the eastman stock like you know eastman kodak eastman's notorious that's the shit that turns pink and all that when Fuji film fades from the 70s. It gets a little purple tinge to it, but it keeps its color. And this print was incredible. It is barely scratched. Like, it is one of the best fucking, like, vintage prints I've seen projected. Mm-hmm. So I want to give a shout-out to Harry Guerrero because he loaned us that print, and, like, it was phenomenal. Um, week before that, did Nightmare City, which, always a crowd-pleaser. Yeah. That that audience, was like, fucking had a blast, like... Is just one of the most ridiculous and somehow timely movies ever made. That's like one of the ones I, I feel like it's probably people that come out to see it or people that have already seen it and they're just actually, ready for it. Actually, no. No? Okay. A lot of people hadn't seen it. So I was like, I, 
I basically sold it like the movie's insane, but sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love it, but like it's a movie not for everyone. But like it it killed, especially the dummy drop and yeah. cool. every it's a fun one. Every ridiculous moment. <laughs> but yeah. So by the time this episode comes out, we'll be, you know, doing sixty shockers and one of the movies we're going to be talking about, the Cinematech's actually showing it as part of a Peter Greenway tribute, but we'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about that movie. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to be talking about some twins on the Cinematic Void Podcast. Love, football on TV, shots of Gina Lee, hanging with my friends and twins. I love burritos at 4 a.m. You know, ever since I came home to Minnesota, I've been hearing how the twins are hurting without Carew. Well, don't count on it. Guys like Erickson, Goltz, and Marshall have given us some of the best pitching we've had in years. And new guys like Landro and Jackson have already helped us. And Roy Smalley's become a star. Sure, a lot of people have written us off. Well, that's okay. Right, because now we've got something to prove. Tell them like it is, Coos. Right, right. The Minnesota Twins. This year, we've got something to prove. Welcome back. We're going to be talking about some twinning movies here on the Cinematic Void podcast. And up first is a movie from 1985, which is, this happens to be one of my all-time favorite movies. I don't know what Nick thinks of it, but we'll get into that in a little bit. It's directed by Peter Greenway who is probably best known for directing The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover, which I don't know if you've seen that. You haven't seen any Greenway, have you? Uh, no, aside from this one, I have not. Oh, so open up a whole new world for you. A bonkers-ass art house cinema. He also did a movie with called The Belly of the Architect, which stars Brian Dennehy, which seems like an odd choice, but it's a really fucking good movie, and Drowning by Numbers, which is another all-time banger. The film stars actual brothers Brian Deacon, who was in void centric, like kind of sexploitation vampire movie Vampires, as well as his brother Eric Deacon, who is primarily a television actor in the UK, I should say. It also stars Andrea Faroli. Hope I'm saying her name right. She was in Tin Drum, which absolute fucking all timer, too. Oh, yeah. Love Tin Drum. And Francis Barber. The film was shot by Sasha Bernie who I hope I'm saying that name right, who went on to be Greenway's cinematographer from this movie until his untimely passing. Bernie's passing, not Greenway's, just to be clear. He also lends things like Belle du Jour by Louis Benuel, mm-hmm. which comes into play with, especially content-wise, of this movie. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's quite a surrealist movie, but there's definitely surrealism throughout this thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, haven't said what the movie's called yet, and it is a Zed in two knots, which is zoo, which if you've seen the movie, you know why it's called that. Maybe. Of course, not to be confused with the documentary zoo. What's that one about? Uh, that would be the, the uh, one where the guy got fucked by a horse. We've, I think we've mentioned it. Oh, we have mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, don't get those confused for sure. Although there is a little bit of hinted bestiality in this movie, which will, probably touch upon well not really touch upon bestiality we'll touch upon it with a long stick and poke it we'll pet it we'll pet it yeah heavy petting here anyway 
So here's a little plot for you. It's about two twin brothers that somehow work at a zoo, different departments, different things they're researching, whatever. And basically they lose their wives in a car accident because a swan escapes the zoo, causes a car wreck, gets swan stuff everywhere. And then the two brothers basically kind of fall in love with the lady that was driving the car with their wives who lost a leg and then loses the other leg because it's got to be symmetrical here, which is another big theme in this movie. And basically they become obsessed with death and dying and the meaning of life and that kind of stuff and start doing time-lapse photography on various things to watch them decay. And they slowly move up the food chain. Now, if you haven't seen this movie, we're going to get spoiler heavy. And because how else are we going to fucking talk about this insanity? Because you can't really tiptoe around it. Other be like, you know that weird fucking thing? Yeah. That would be the whole fucking episode. So if you haven't seen Zen Two Knots, it's a little tricky to see. But like, um, it there is a nice BFI Blu-ray of it, which I think might be actually all region that you can buy on Amazon. And... <clears throat> If you're in the Los Angeles area, it will actually be playing at the American Cinematheque as part of their big Peter Greenway tribute. Who He will be there in person, so check all that stuff out. You know, obviously I'm plugging stuff that's just proper Cinematheque shows, but I think it's really important for people to come check out these Greenway films because, you know, he was kind of a big deal when I was getting into, like, cult cinema and art house cinema and stuff like that, but, like, he's not really on a lot of people's radar, and I think part of it is, one... He's not in the Criterion Collection for I don't know the reason. And just the availability of his films. Like, you know, you can, I already mentioned, you can get a BFI Blu-ray of this, but there's no stateside release of it. Mm -hmm. I heard some rumblings that some of his films are finally getting nice 4K restorations, which I can't really talk about. But Which is around the time when... The yeah. Cinematheque would do a retrospective. Yeah. You know well, no, I mean? there, there's stuff actually coming up after it, but it's just okay. like part of it, it's like, you know, the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. I'm just going to call it the cook from here on out because it's a long fucking title. I think he's even tired of it. And I think he just calls it the cook and maybe the thief and just stops there at this point. But like that movie came out on, you know, Miramax. It was one of the big Miramax movies because they released it unrated because it was going to get an X rating for like graphic violence and stuff like that. And it's just like, that was his biggest stateside release. But he's had other stuff. He did a movie with Jude Law, the pillow book and things like that. But it's just like, for whatever reason, like his prime work hasn't been readily available. And I do have DVDs of a lot of this stuff. Like, you know, Belly the Architect, I think MGM put it out on DVD. So I'm hoping someone's going to do a Blu-ray of that. But like, I, I don't know the reason, but I think it's why like he's not as well known as say like David Cronenberg or like... Yeah, he was he wasn't on my radar, but so, uh, but yeah, this is this this is one. I'm I'm glad you know I'm glad we're here. I'm glad you're here. So I'm gonna just throw it to you and ask what's your first impressions of seeing this movie. This is your first Greenway movie, yeah. and it. I didn't really prep you other than twins yeah. and a zoo. Totally, man. Um, I well, I was instantly drawn to it just due to the the cinematography. Like it's just it's it it's instantly like gripping in that way but then at the same time like the way that the the dialogue and the way that the whole story moves along like i, f- I kind of found it and i you know i'm maybe going a little too deep here like on first thought but but i definitely did just kind of find it a little tedious to get through but at the same time like 
I'm I'm a big fan of this fucking movie. Like it kicks ass for like a lot of different reasons. Um, but I, I did I did I found it kind of hard to get through. Um, but uh, but yeah, this is a fucking batshit crazy movie. Uh, like Jim said, you know their their wives die at the beginning uh, due to a car accident with a swan. It's fucking absolutely ridiculous. There's this giant swan hanging out of the the like over the hood of the car. Yeah, it's just absolutely insane. All these like dead people in the car, are just kind of like what the fuck is going on? Well, the, you know? then there's the other weird things in it. They're like on the driver of the car's last name is Buick. Okay. And then, like, the street, I think it's, like, Swan Street or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, I don't want to call it puns, but, like... Yeah. But they even say, it, they, at one point in the movie, I think somebody's like, was it a swan from the zoo, or was it just a swan? And, like, yeah. you know, they never explain it. No. They, ne- they like, nothing, uh, nothing in this fucking film gets explained to you. <laughs> you know? Like, there's a... Like, the, I feel like the dialogue is sparse, and nothing really gets explained to you. I think you figure it out. Like you, you more or less figure out what's going on. But, but yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's a fucking art film. I mean, I really fucking liked it. It's it kind of falls under a classification that like I don't mean this to be disparaging or demeaning, but like something a little bit along the lines of asshole cinema. Okay. Where I think the filmmaker has some kind of contempt for the audience. Okay. It's a I'll little bit it. flippant. I'm not saying that's <laughs> like. Because the dialogue is very punchy and it's very mm-hmm. like well, is it? But on one hand, I just had I just consider that maybe it's just really British. It could be, but like stylized, like if you watch more Greenway movies, mm-hmm. like the way the dialogue is fired off is very similar in all these movies. Okay, and it's like you know even when we watch like Brian Dennehy, who like you you know after watching this, you couldn't imagine Brian Dennehy in a Peter Greenway movie, but he's in it and he fucking nails it. Mm-hmm. I mean, come to think of it, I, I, I maybe could have benefited from some, some, uh, subtitles as well. You know, you think the, the Britishness kind of, maybe some of it, maybe some of it wasn't as clear as it could have been, you know, and I just kind of like rolled with it. Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe there's that, you know, um, I just didn't have a subtitle option. Yeah. But like, you know, it, I kind of get the point, and it's just like, and what I mean by asshole cinema, like, I think of stuff like The Holy Mountain, or like, Godard's Weekend, or something like, where it's like, intentionally antagonistic. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, maybe not as much as those movies, like, you know, pushing your limits of like, all right, fuck you, I'm showing you this, and like, you know, like, I think of The Holy Mountain, like, the ending of The Holy Mountain is just Jodorowsky standing there with like, fucking both middle fingers up, just like, fuck you. Yeah. I I, I just made you watch that. Hell yeah. And then I pull the rug out on under you. <laughs> and uh, there's a little bit of that in this, and especially when you get towards the ending. But, mm-hmm. like, I, it's flipping in a way. It's just, like, just because it's – it comes off as zany. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, But it's very I, dark. And, like, some of the zaniness comes from the score, especially during, like, those, like, um, you know – you know the the music in the time lapse for do- photography scenes is like it's like very circusy. Okay. Or yeah, and and again, I, I feel like some of that is just uh, some of it, it's it's Britishness, you know. And and I, the other day when we talked about it, before I'd actually finished it, I had mentioned you know I was kind of comparing it to other like things that I think are overly British, you know, yeah. like fucking um, the Office. No. <laughs> yeah, the, the <laughs> Office extras. I just only name uh, Ricky Gervais things <laughs> Actually, you know 
weirdly, if you think about that first season, the Mighty Boosh, because it takes place at a zoo. Yeah, <laughs> it's very... just the more exaggerated version of it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a more exaggerated, <laughs> Slight, just very slightly exaggerated version. It's the the twins are gone. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I feel like is kind of flippant and like kind of, mm-hmm. I don't want to say contemptuous of the audience, but I do feel like it's like it's pushing you to a place where like you an audience wouldn't normally want to go or would think about going. Yeah. And you have no choice because you're just going there. Mm-hmm. I just kind of found it to be a bunch of like vignettes of like just like really meticulously set like because a lot of it took place like in the house and it would everything would be like symmetrical or just like just off symmetrical in some weird way that also seemed to have like you know, if the if everything in the room was like super symmetrical and then there would just be like, but on this table, there was like also a plate of grapes. And, and it always made me go like, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Like maybe there's like a deeper meaning to even like the little, you know, because everything else is so meticulously staged as being symmetrical, but then it's just like one little thing that's off or like, you know, her, obviously like if it's the, the woman laying in bed and like she's missing one leg. So of yeah. course it's not completely symmetrical, but so I was wondering if there is a deeper meaning to that stuff. I don't know, but I, I loved, I loved those scenes, but that's what most of this, most of like the dialogue takes place in those sort of scenes yeah. where it's just like three or four people sitting around a bed or something. And they're kind of telling you what the fuck's going on. You also have them in the screening room and they're watching those like documentaries, the the Richard Attenborough documentaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of like exposition that is flung at you, but in a way that isn't traditional, like, it's just like a one-off line, like, oh, that explains it. Yeah. And, like, I don't find it intrusive, but, like, you know, when I first became aware of this movie, it was through Chaz Ballon, who was the editor of Deep Red, and, like, you know, which I think is still the greatest horror zine book ever made. He, you know, obviously edited the Deep Red Horror Handbook, mm-hmm. and he also used to sell bootlegs of movies and like he had this one for sale okay and basically the way he sold it was like you know before there was like dead ringers there was this movie oh okay so that and i had seen dead ringers so i was like well i want to check this out i i i don't think i bought it. i think bruce holacek got a copy i remember watching with him first time and just like fucking laughing at just like how like insane everything in this Mm -hmm. movie is because it just ramps up and it just keeps ramping up and then you get to the a logical logical conclusion mm-hmm. and then like you kind of get the rug pulled out from under you in some yeah. ways but let's talk a little bit about that like that opening car accident like the way everything is staged with like the kids and the dalmatian and like the fucking giant zoo sign the giant zoo sign man like that alone like the giant zoo sign is like a great substitute just for the you know the title screen yeah like it just i mean that is the title of the movie anyway yeah so it's like you see zoo pop up all blue and big all lit up sick as hell it just it, this this fucking movie looks amazing yeah. every single scene looks amazing no it, it, a lot of those like that the relationship greenway had with the his cinematographers like clearly they were in some kind of sync where it's like because a lot of those things are staged almost like paintings mm-hmm and I'm pretty sure, like, there's definitely paintings they're, like, calling, yeah. too. Not in every shot, but, like, you know, there's a lot of, like, you know, just static shots. There's some moving camera and stuff in it, obviously. But, like, when it gets to those, like, you know, money, like, just static, like, kind of medium shots where, like, everything just plays out in front of you, it's just, like, it's, like, looking at art 
where you can hear it because shit, mm-hmm. people are talking to each other and there's music and there's movement and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a really interesting technique and I think like visually it's just absolutely fucking stunning. Unlike the bootleg version that I watched years ago, which was goddamn unwatchable. Oh, that's a bummer. I mean, I think it was a, it was definitely a bootleg of some. I can't remember if it had burned in subtitles or whatever. But like, that's how I first saw it. And then I think eventually this did come out in DVD over here, and I grabbed that DVD. It's a movie I love because it's just audacious and it's just insane. And like, you know, it's it's a movie about grief and kind of like. How do you cope with death or try to understand death? And, like, you know, obviously one brother takes it a little bit harder than the other. That's another thing I want to mention. When you start out in the movie, they're not twins. Yeah. I mean, they're brothers. But, mm-hmm. like, which I think is a kind of unique twist is that, like, they become more twin-like. And then you find out they were Siamese twins. Yeah. And then they start looking like, because, like, one of the brothers has, like, bleached blonde hair and the other one's kind of, like, more businessy, And then, like... They start transforming and becoming the same. Yeah. But the early on, there's the one brother that just kind of like, you know, starts letting animals out of the zoo. And then like goes and picks up the glass from the car wreck and he's fucking eating it. It's like eating it and having wine and all that when like the... It's kind of weird that a zoo would have a hooker that worked there. Venus de Milo. Mm-hmm. Which again is... I've never worked at a zoo. I mean... Maybe, maybe just a, there's a hooker on staff. I don't know. <laughs> but she goes and she tells them erotic stories and like she just wants to be in the zebra enclosure for some reason. Yeah, yeah they they do talk a lot about. There's a they they try to get uh, real philosophical about zebras in this movie. A little too much, but you like, know, but I, is, a, is a is a zebra a horse with stripes or is it or is <laughs> a is a zebra a horse with stripes or is a horse a zebra without stripes? I mean, it's, it's literally a line from... I know it is. But <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's, it's so fucking dumb. But, like, there's there's that motif, and then, like, when he kicks her... Like, one of the brothers kicks Venus Milo out, and she's, like, naked walk around, and she's singing the fucking Teddy Bear's Picnic song. The Teddy Bear's Picnic song. So, so dude, uh, Teddy Bear's Picnic. So, do you remember... And I guess it was in the 90s, or at least I heard it in the 90s. I think I heard it in Jamie Payton's car going to like punk shows not the loft and uh and yeah oi polloi had a song that was like the punks picnic or some shit and it was that same song and but they're singing about like the punks picnic and uh i always remember i always remember thinking that shit was so fucking corny but uh so i was thinking about this the other day and i went i went back and listened to like those era and like the 80s era of oi polloi records that band's sick as hell like oi polloi is like legit you know, legit like '80s anarcho punk, like crust punk, whatever type shit. Like, just as good as all the others. Like, but they're they probably they're still around. Like, they're one of those bands that never stopped playing. So, I can't imagine and like have had a, a billion members. Yeah, I, I think it was. But like, you sent me that song, and like as soon as I heard, it, I was like, oh shit. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that song <laughs> in like probably twenty plus years yeah. at that point. But like, yeah, it's a weird. It's, but it's, it makes sense because, like, that definitely replays throughout the movie and all that. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, when she gets kicked out of the apartment and she's singing it in the hallway, like, that's such a great scene. <laughs> it's such a great scene. Oh, my God. And it's, like, this, this movie is just, like, I, I think vignettes is a fair point because, like, they're, like, scenes that, like, they could be in any order or whatever. But, like, I guess probably because I've seen it 
and I'm not trying to like say I'm better than you because I've seen it more. I just like, <laughs> but I know well, I'm better than you. No, well, I mean, just because I've watched it more over the years, and like you know, I I kind of got a familiarity for it, so it doesn't mm. feel as vignette-y to me. Like it feels like it. There's a stream of conscious that connects them all, and I just think there's a there's a natural flow and escalation within the movie, and like. Especially, like, it's, like, little subtle things, like how the brothers start evolving into each other to the point they make a fucking suit so they're fucking walking around together and that kind of shit. It's so good. So good. And, and you know, I, I saw that. I think it's the BFI DVD. I saw that cover, and I'm like, that's a shitty cover. Like, that's not a very, like, that doesn't make me want to watch this. And then when I finally got to that point in the movie, they're just like, oh, that's so sick. That's the cover. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, there you go. I mean, it's a weird thing because, like, I think another thing that kind of hurts this movie, it's like, not the posters are for are that great, but I think that opening credits where you just have Zoo in the background, it's like it's a fucking damn good like yeah. title card without being a title card thing. But yeah. I, I mean, I guess it's a hard movie because like the other big thing is the deterioration theme of just like you know death, the you know death, dying, decay, and that kind of stuff, which is all those like animal corpses, yeah. And, well, there's another form of decay. It's people's fucking mental capacity. No doubt. Because people seem to get more and more insane as they're going. Yeah. There's definitely a, uh, this definitely had to have been a big influence on, like, Nine Inch Nails music videos. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm pretty sure. Like, you know. There's, like, the scene of the fucking alligator decomposing. Yeah. Like, man. So uh, so awesome. Like, Trent Reznor is like, hmm. It was definitely, like, fucking downward spiral era. Yep. But, like. It's kind of weird. I don't know where they got all the animals from. Probably don't want to know. Yeah. So we'll just leave it at that. I mean, the, obviously, like, that Dalmatian in the beginning gets hit by a car, and they set it up and start doing the thing to it. But I don't think it was a dead Dalmatian. I think it was a dog playing dead kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's a scene where, like, the camera's actually, like, trucking back, like, moving back, and you see all the fucking lights going off because they're running, like, simultaneous fucking, like, decomposing, like, um time lapse because mm-hmm. it's like the dog the fucking alligator i think there's some other stuff okay it's just it's it's fucking nuts yeah 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 those scenes where it's just showing all those lights going off crazy everywhere yeah i i didn't i didn't quite know that that's what that is that that's what they were doing yeah you know um so yeah they were so to me that was just like a really artsy like fucked up no, crazy looking scene you no, know they were they were fucking so, running multiple like okay. time lapse at the okay. same time very cool so i mean but yeah, just everyone in the movie just gets more and more insane. Like, you know, their obsession with the Alba Bewick, who was the lady with the one leg, mm-hmm. who then later has no legs because it's like, oh, it's hurting my back, so I have to remove it. You never get out of bed. Exactly. <laughs> and like, there's a doctor and her assistant. There's a fucking funny scene where like, their assistant, they try to like accuse her of wearing like animal print, like underwear or something like that. So mm-hmm. then like, one of the brothers goes and meets her in the bathroom and like lifts it up and she's like, oh yeah, fucking nothing. Oh, right. It was the little kid had uh, tried to guess what color underwear she was wearing. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> and then, like, went to go check and she had none on. She fucking slaps the one brother. It's yeah. a fucking brilliant little, like, mm-hmm. moment. But like, there, there's big comedy moments in this movie awesome. somehow. I mean, I, I know that we haven't even mentioned the next film. I mean, we haven't really mentioned the next film that we're going to be talking about, but... You know, it's it, this this one and, and the next one sh- share a lot of things. But even just that woman, uh, when she's in the bathroom and and she lifts up her dress and to show him like what panties she's wearing, like she's wearing like all red. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a lot of 
there's a lot influences of influences here. Yeah, because like you know, you know, like also I think like both the both the movies, this and Dead Ringers, which we're going to talk about next, like you know, the there's similar looks to them, mm-hmm. and like I, you know, maybe I don't want to say like. I mean, we'll talk about this one. The symmetry is very important into it. And, like, when it's off symmetry, there's a reason because it's calling attention to something or, like, some kind of chaos or whatever. So, yeah, there's just a lot in this fucking movie. There is. And, like, I don't know. It's, like, it's just, it's weird because, like, I feel like it gets towards surrealism without really crossing that line. Mm -hmm. But then there's, like, weird fucking moments in the movie when the two twins decide to disrobe and get in the fucking tiger cage. And then they're, like, sitting there talking, like, the head of the zoo, like, fucking buck-ass naked. Yeah. Just, like... <laughs> just twinning. Twinning. But, like, yeah, it's just... I mean, the movie's funny and zany, but then it's very serious and bleak. It's, like, a lot of... It's a lot of tonal shifts, but, like, it just seems like it just doesn't naturally, where it doesn't feel like... I don't feel like at any point where, like, something serious happens... Mm-hmm. That, like, when the comedic moment or something really dark happens, that it undercuts it. It just feels like this natural, like, Mm -hmm. progression of, like, highs, lows, and all that. I don't know. But, like, you know, it's... I mean, I don't know what the fucking else to say. Like, I love this movie because it's just, like, it's just incredible. It's just well-made and it's just absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. And, like, obviously, like, you know, I think some of the dialogue rhythm is just, it's just Greenway style. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's a different way. It's I think it's people like, you know, Hal Hartley, they have a very specific way of how they write dialogue and have people deliver it and that kind of stuff, which is, like, a choice. And it's, like, it's not a common aesthetic choice because when you think of, like, people like, let's say Martin Scorsese or Steven Spielberg, like, I guess there might be some, like, aesthetic ways of line drill, delivery, but it's, like, not noticeable. I mean, Scorsese's, like, if you have Joe Pesci, he's just going to say fuck a lot, you know. But it's, like... There's there's an intent behind each line and whether like it connects with you or not like it's it's written in a specific way it's delivered in a specific way and like it's kind of a unique approach but I mean it's just a unique movie especially when you get to like you know the end yeah. where it's like they've gone through like the food chain and the only thing left is like humans mm-hmm. the document time lapse side and originally it was supposed to be um. Alba Bewick, who like, oh yeah, you can have my body and do it, and their family like, nope, proper burial, bitch. Yeah. So the brothers decide to kill themselves and film it. Except there's one little problem: snails. That's the other thing. There's there's a lot of snails because like I think they go back to like Alba's like childhood, like like something she saw from her childhood, and there just happens to be like a ton of snails there. And then, like, when they set up the, their own time lapse, like, first they, like, I think they inject themselves with some kind of poison. So they're, like, they're dead and they're filming stuff. And, like, that's the end of their experiment. And, like, here you go. This is our legacy. And snails are, like, nope. And it's kind of like the, it's kind of like Greenway giving you the finger. Like, you get invested in all this stuff. And, like, you get to the completion of, like, their life's work. And it's just undermined. Yeah. By, like, a life form that doesn't have, like, a spine or anything. I, I mean, I think that's kind of the common one. It's just like, you know, can't control life. Yeah. Can't control death. Yeah. It's just, they're just, uh, you know, it's just, they're they're not like the maggots, but they're just like another, just another creature. Just like, hey. Yeah. I mean, also, I've never seen that many fucking snails 
Yeah. Together. There's a crazy amount of snails in this movie. Like, the the amount of fucking snails, like, all over the place, especially the ending. It's like, how the fuck did you find that many goddamn snails? Yeah. I know, I know you're a vegan now, but have you ever had that cargo? I have not. I haven't either. And not using ve- being vegan as an excuse, but like, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't. Just, but I just probably fucking wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I feel it, you. Just, I don't really. I've had I've had other crazy things, but uh, snails. I don't think that's on the. That's not on the menu, homie. Nah, eh, not for me. A uh, couple things that we can like, you know, should mention before we wrap up talking about um Zed and Two Knots. Like this could be another non-traditional Christmas movie. There's a there's a brief scene where you see a Christmas t- tree and then they look outside because they let the rhino out, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool because the rhino's just fucking chilling. I think rhinos are cool. I feel like I'm that like, kid that like I like turtles. I don't know. I don't think rhinos are cool. Yeah, I mean, the 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 thing is, it's like I don't know how much animals were exploited. They probably weren't really exploited that much. No, I don't think so. I think so. I think whatever they had wasn't killed for the camera. It might have been something that actually passed. Mm-hmm. Is my guess. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's like if you're in L.A., please go see the Zed and Two Knots in the theater and check out some other Peter Greenway works because i feel like i'm hoping after this people start like giving him his props you know mm-hmm. like i i i feel like he had such a such a run and maybe when you check out other things you might agree with this more but like he had a really interesting run as a filmmaker and just like kind of uncompromised kind of like no fucks to give just these are the movies i'm making hell yeah so I don't know. Final thoughts on a Z and two knots. Uh, I'm ready to watch it again. It's a fucking weird one, and uh, I think that I think that it'll it'll uh, I think it'll pay off to have just multiple watches. I mean, so. I I think for like I think it might be a grower for you. Yeah. Like, but I, again, I already I love it already. Now I just I I need more of it. Yeah. <laughs> just put it right in your veins. God damn it. That's it, man. But we're gonna take a quick commercial break. But we're gonna turn more twins here on the Cinematic Boy Podcast. What is the first thing that happens? The first thing that happens is bacteria set to work in the intestine. What sort of bacteria? Bicycosis populi. There are supposed to be 130,000 bicycosis in each lick of a human tongue. 250,000 in French kiss. First exchanged at the very beginning of creation. Adam kissed Eve. Suppose Eve kissed Adam. Unlikely. She used her first 100,000 on the apple. Welcome back. We've been talking about some twinning movies here on the cinematic void podcast up next is a movie from 1988 it's directed by someone you may have heard of probably not you know this guy david cronenberg he's canadian yeah he's had a career i guess you might have heard of him um and the movie of course we're talking about is dead ringers now i know we're joking i'm pretty sure everyone knows who the fuck david cronenberg is at this point but this was kind of his follow-up to The Fly, which was, I I don't know, have the numbers in front of me, but I think The Fly was probably his biggest hit. Mm-hmm. At least, it was definitely at that time and probably maybe all time, depending on, like, what a history of violence and Eastern Promises did. Yeah. But I think, you know, just big movies, because, like, that was a game-changer for him. Mm-hmm. So... This was his follow-up, and it also kind of marked his transition from, like, the body horror stuff. Although, still... I mean, this is plenty plenty body <laughs> horror going on. But this is more, like, real body horror. Yeah. But it also... It was a 
kind of a conscious shift to more art house mm-hmm. stuff. Like, because he made this, then he made Naked Lunch and M. Butterfly. And, like, he kind of, like, you know, the sci-fi fantastic, you know, the days of Videodrome and the Brood were gone. And Dead Ringers was kind of the kickoff. But I, I do agree, like, there's definitely a lot of body horror. And it does, that movie, this movie shares a lot with his earlier filmography, I think. The film stars Jeremy Irons, who's playing both twins, so no real twins in this one, but some really creative and innovative special effects to make this happen. I mean, it works better than... You know, this is one of the best portrayals of that that I've ever seen. Like, I mean, I, I know that, it, you know, I, I may be stoned to the bone watching this movie, but I'll tell you what, 15, 20 minutes in, I forgot that that's fucking one guy. One guy? I mean, like, he, does, he kills it. I mean, he... The year after this, I think he won an Academy Award. And I think that Academy Award, it's widely believed that, like, it was kind of like, oh, we fucked up and didn't give you for Dead Ringers. So we're going to get, yeah. Because when he got his Academy Award, like, one of the first people he thanked was David Cronenberg. Okay. So there's a consensus that, like, when he won his Oscar, it was really like, whoops, we fucked up and didn't give it to you for Dead Ringers. The Man in the Iron Mask. That's the only thing I ever think of. He is in that movie, right? (laughs) He is in that movie. (laughs) I I can't remember the movie he won his Academy Award for, and I should have wrote it down. But, like, you know, the, his performance is extraordinary, like, and we're going to definitely talk a lot about it. The movie also stars Genevieve Bajord, who was in Tightrope with Clint Eastwood, which is absolute banger of a American-style giallo, and as well as Earthquake in a movie you were mentioning during the break here. Yeah, he was, or she was in uh, House of Yes, Parker Posey film uh, that was by the director that did Mean Girls. Um, Mark Waters. Mark Waters. So, I remember you loaning to that. I haven't watched that movie since probably you loaned it to me, but it's, it's a damn good movie, and I forgot she was in it. And lastly, although he doesn't have a big role in it, and but it calls back to the the pre-Arthouse Cronenberg, is actor Stephen Lack was in this movie, who's best known for being the lead in Scanners. He plays kind of like an artist or kind of thing. And weirdly, his one scene in Dead Ringers is better than his whole entire performance in Scanners. I mean, I, I'm just going to admit, and it's probably going to piss people off. I'm not the biggest Scanners fan. I think after the head explosion and that Scanner duel at the end, like, Stephen Lack was, like, he seemed fine, but he wasn't as charismatic as he kind of needed him to be to carry the movie. Where you have Michael Ironside just fucking, like, wrecking shop and, like, chewing scenery and, like, all that kind of stuff. But in this movie, even though it's literally one scene, like, great performance. So, there. I have something that people will probably tweet at me. Do you say anything bad about Scanners? I mentioned the good shit in Scanners. I'm just saying, like, he is the weakest link in Scanners. You cannot argue that. Like, he doesn't carry the movie. The head explosion carries you to the fucking Scanner duel at the end. And Michael Ironside. But, whatever, we're getting off topic. Uh, This film was the first film Cronenberg worked with his new DP, Peter Sajewski, who had previously worked on and was the DP of Empire Strikes Back. The reason being is that Cronenberg's longtime DP, Mark Irwin, who had, I think, I know, I forget when he started working with Mark. Maybe it was around The Brood or something like that. Or maybe it was Scanners or something. Pretty early on, like, when they, when The Fly became a hit, members of Cronenberg's, like, team became very popular. And, of course, Mark Irwin started getting offers that, you know, be the director of photography for horror films out here. And he ended up booking a gig for the 
Chuck Russell's The Blob remake. So he did that, and so Cronenberg needed a new DP. Should also mention Mark Irwin went on to work with Wes Craven, because I think he shot a lot of, I want to say like the 90s stuff. He definitely shot the first Scream, and then I think he got fired off of Scream 2 for someone in his camera crew was like not doing the focus and got Weinstein. Like literally one of the Weinstein brothers fucking fired him. Weird shit. But yeah, if you uh, if you haven't seen Dead Ringers, uh, it's about two gynecologists who uh, kind of one of them is a bit of an introvert, one of them one of them is an extrovert, one of them's kind of a pervert. You know, the other one's a little quiet. Um, they both are gynecologists. They're twins, and uh, a lot of people can't really tell them apart. So they use that to their benefit, and they're kind of con men in a sense, and kind of take advantage of women that way, and uh, and then they want to and take advantage of their clients. You know, um, their patients. Uh, and eventually a famous actress becomes one of their patients and, you know, it, they end up having some, uh, some issues, some problems. That's where they, their problems arise. One of them catches feelings. Yeah. Catches feelings. Exactly. And a drug addiction. And, and the other one doesn't really care too much. And yeah, so this is, there's a, there's a lot going on in this one. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a real interesting character study on, uh, the, the demented minds of twins. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, maybe not that far, but, like, it's definitely talking about, like, you know, a lot of theories about twins feeling other, if, if a twin feels pain, does mm-hmm. their twin feel the same pain and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, again, kind of like a Z and two knots, like, although this is more apparent because Jeremy Irons is playing both roles, like, even though it's, like, one actor playing two roles, he plays each brother completely different. Oh, yeah. Like, there is subtle and unsubtle like and and when i say unsubtle i don't mean over the top i mean like there's things from like how he has his hair and like how he like characters engage with other characters and like that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. like it's fucking incredible and then it's like fucking having conversations with yourself yeah dude then yeah (laughs) it's fucking it's like you it's just fucking insane it's it's a fucking all-time performance Absolutely, it never it never feels like he's just talking to a fucking camera. It really feels like he's having a conversation with his twin brother every fucking scene. It, it incredibly filmed, incredibly acted. Uh, yeah, it's a fucking insane movie. Now, this film is based on a true story about two actual twin gynecologists named Stewart and Cyril Marcus. This they were born in 1930 and then died in 1975 and. You know, they kind of died together, but one brother died first, and then the other brother died after. There was a book that was written on that Cronenberg kind of adapted or used it as the basis for it. Called Twins. Was it? Yeah, it was called Twins. Yeah. And as much as, like, you know, the real-life influence, coming back to her friend Peter Greenway, who we talked about previous on the previous segment, um, who directed, obviously, a Z and Two Knots, Cronenberg actually contacted him and... Basically had a multi-hour phone call asking about, you know, Zed and Two Knots and Twins and that kind of stuff. And, like, I, I don't think Greenway feels like he was ripped off or whatever. But I feel like Cronenberg's like, I've seen a really great twin movie. So I might as well talk to the guy who made it so I can have a better understanding, you know. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's one of those ones where it's, you could go, like, I mean, I would go as far as to to at least question, like, is this a remake? You know, it's like surely, you know, their their occupation, that you know, they're not a zoo, they're in a fucking doctor's office, and like a million different things about it. But like ultimately, a lot of the main themes, yeah, and ultimately the end, really, like they're yeah. identical. Yeah, not identical. 
Well, you know, they, they both take a certain downbeat path. They mm -hmm. both meet a woman that they're both essentially having a relationship with. Yeah. Although, at least in Zed, that woman's very clear on its twins. Mm -hmm. In this movie, not at first, but then, you know, that's where the riff comes in kind of thing. I mean, I don't know. It's just like, this movie is just, it's fucking great. And, like, I've watched it several times over years. And, like, you know... As much as I think there is a heavy influence of a Zed and Two Knots, I also think it's kind of its own thing too. Yeah. Which you know it kind of has to be because if it what wasn't like, why would we talk about it? It'd be like just an inferior knockoff, right? And I mean the big thing is just we already mentioned is fucking Jeremy Irons. Now originally Cronenberg had other actors in mind and actually talked to him, and one of them was William Hurt, who basically is like, ah man, I don't want to have to play two roles. So that's essentially what he did. And um, Robert De Niro was the other one. But, like, I think De Niro had a hard time, like, kind of, like, I don't know, figuring out the nuance of how do you do two different people that are the same. Now, would an actor get paid double for playing two, for playing two characters? Probably not. <laughs> it's not like the um, when Nick Cage played the Kaufman brothers in, like, <laughs> right fucking on. adaptation or something like that. But, yeah, I, like, I couldn't imagine anyone else in it. I couldn't. Definitely couldn't imagine De Niro doing it at this point. No. I just... I, William Hurt's an interesting choice, but I think Jeremy Irons was the right person for this. 100%. Obviously, this had some pretty high-tech stuff. Like, I think they had um, motion cameras where they could set up and repeat the shot. So if there was, like, a camera move or something like that, or they had in certain shots. So basically, I think they would double print on the film. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, one take, you have Jeremy on one side being the brother. And then you have them on the other take. And, like, obviously they had sometimes would have, like, you know, doubles and stuff. Like, I think about, it like, that kind of fucking crazy scene when they're, like, slow dancing with um, Heidi Von Plasky's character. Mm -hmm. And they're doing that slow dance to In the Still of the Night by the Five Stains and, like, hugging her. But they're really just hugging each other and yeah. stuff like that. Like, it's well done. It never feels like trickery. The thing is, though, in that scene... When when that needle drop hits, I'm instantly transported to the Irishman and just ruined. <laughs> you know, it was like there and there are plenty of other films that that song is in, but now it's just currently Irishman. it just takes me to the Irishman. You know, it, you know it's funny if you have the old Criterion disc of um, Dead Ringers. There's a commentary where Cronenberg's talking about the use of the song. It's like I don't know how people like Marty Scorsese can afford to put like countless song, these songs in their films because they're fucking expensive. Oh, okay, <laughs> he was like. He's like, I don't even tell you how much the song cost because it's just like it was more than like I wanted to pay for it. Yeah. Like he's like, I just don't understand. So it's funny that like this ended up being the fucking Irishman years later because Marty's the king of like needle drop. Oh yeah. Marty will needle drop any fucking thing from like I remember or just the same Rolling Stone song over and over. Yeah. My favorite one was when he did what's the frequency, Kenneth, and um, um bringing out the dead. Because it's just like such a fucking out there one. Actually, I take it back. My favorite one's in After Hours where he does on Bad Brains Pay to Come. Oh, sick. Okay. They're like at the punk club and it's like Mohawk night. <laughs> and then Marty has his cameo in that too. But like, yeah, we're getting off topic. But like, yeah, that, that, that song was fucking apparently expensive and Kroenberg was kind of mad about it. But, you know, Irons in this is incredible because it's just like we've already talked about it because it's just, you know... Two different people, two different life experiences, two ways of behaving. But sort of like Zed, there is a point where they start becoming one and the same. Mm -hmm. 
and it's really interesting when it happens. It's when um, Elliot decide when Beverly gets hooked on drugs. Mm-hmm. Elliot starts taking drugs, so they're like trying to be even, yeah. which is not a good idea. But, like, you know, I think, I remember, this was years ago, and I forget what special it was. It was, like, maybe Drugs on Movie. It had Jerry Stahl, the guy that um, wrote Permanent Midnight and all that, former, like, hardcore fucking drug addict. He always said, like, Dead Ringers was, like, the most perfect representation of drug addiction because it's, like, when you look at their apartment at the end and how fucking trashed it is and there's food and, like, like really sugary food everywhere. He's like, that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. And that's where, like, that movie's darkness goes. Like, there's a scene where, like, Jeremy Irons like playing both twins and walk around and they're both kind of the same and they're not wearing pants and they're just like completely fucking gone you right. know but that that addiction initially comes from you know depression yeah you know, which is which is comes from they're trying to mani- manipulate this woman she finds out yeah and and you know it's over and then and and Beverly actually cared yeah you know so then sent, sends him into a spiral of depression gets into drugs he gets and back with her, but so then... So it's like, is this a film about depression? Is it a film about addiction? I mean, it's, it's all these things, right? And it's also about brothers and twins. But Genevieve's character is like... You know, we're, we've talked about Irons, but she's phenomenal in this too because like, she has to play off of two different dynamics and be her own person. Like, She doesn't really need them. Yeah. And like, you know, she's with... She stays with Beverly because she actually genuinely likes him because she realizes he's sweet and sincere where Elliot's just a fucking shit, you know? It's a tough challenge for both of them. Obviously, you know, Jeremy Irons playing two different brothers is tough, but, like, she's also got to play off scenes where she's talking to both of them at the same time. And it's like, how do you fucking do that? Like, how do you keep your logic straight? But, like... I don't know. It's incredible. We should talk about the body harder stuff because obviously being gynecologists, they start building these weird fucking tools. Some of these come along later when like, I guess Beverly's like really into shit. Mm-hmm. Like really fucking hooked on like junk and stuff. So he goes to Stephen Lack's character and gets these like tools because he's like, all these women are mutants and like stuff like that because he's just fucking out of his goddamn mind. And like the tools are very, very vintage Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Like the one thing with a weird like claw hook thing and like just pure instruments of body horror. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that woman that was wearing the red dress, the doctor's assistant, like, you know, they have those red gowns in this movie. And it's like, it's really striking because there's not a lot of color in this movie. Mm-hmm. And the same with like Zed and Two Knots. But when there is color, it like, it really pops out because it's meant to. But like in Dead Ringers, those fucking like, red medical gowns are just so fucking striking and like kind of iconic. Oh yeah. And it's like it, in a way it's like, it's almost too good. But like the first thing I think of when I think of this movie is these red gowns. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I I know, I think it was Nip Tuck did a homage to it at one point when it gets to the point where the drug addiction kicks in, it does become a different movie. And it's just like, you know, we've had bleak week a few weeks ago but like there's something really bleak because it's just like there's no pulling out although towards the end we're like beverly operates on elliot mm-hmm. and they're like fucking drugged out state because that i feel like that represented they had to disconnect from each other in order for one of them to live mm-hmm. so he just fucking mangles his fucking brother you don't see him really do it you see a little implied and you see a bunch of aftermath and then like he leaves the house and he goes to like 
called Genevieve's character. And he just hangs up and he goes back to the fucking apartment and he dies. Yeah. And they're kind of like posed together. It's very, it is similar, but it's not similar to the ending of Zed and Two Knots because like Zed's ending is a little comical because of the snails and like basically their mission is like, you know, we're going to document this thing and just like, it just goes to shit like everything else in that, that happens in the movie. Mm-hmm. With Dead Ringers is just, it's really fucking sad because like, you know, I think Beverly dies of a broken heart because he kind of like, his drug addiction paved a way for this shit to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was kind of Cronenberg was on that kind of ending anyway, starting with Videodrome. Like, you think of the ending of Videodrome, Long Live New Flash, fucking James Wood blows his fucking head off. Mm-hmm. Then you have The Dead Zone, which has Christopher Walken being shot at the end when he tries to assassinate Martin Sheen's character. And then, you know, The Fly, where Gina Davis has to blow the fucking head off of, you know, Jeff Goldblum's The Fly. Mm-hmm. So you have all these, like destructive, heartbreaking, really heart-wrenching fucking endings. Videodrome, maybe not as much, because it's more, like, kind of uplifting in a weird way, but, like, yeah, it's just, like, these. he was just on a series of downer endings, but I think Dead Ringers is the most bleak, because it's just, like, you're watching, like, two brothers that they can't exist with each other, but they cannot exist with each other. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a double metaphor. So I don't know. Like, this is a movie that I watched a lot. Like, I remember renting it from Blockbuster back in the day. Because, like, when I got my Cronenberg phase, like, I'd seen Videodrome. I saw it on the Sci-Fi channel. I think we talked about that when we did the Up the Snuff episode. But I think I saw Videodrome, and then I think Dead Ringers was the second Cronenberg I saw. Because I just, I could rent it. And it was just, like... Really, I don't know, it's like, I really got into it and just, like, felt like, wow, like, I'm watching something, like, that's probably beyond where I'm at, like, to consume cinema-wise, but by watching it then, it kind of opened the doors for other stuff, so it's like, you know, art house things were easier to consume because it's just shaded under the guise of a horror movie, even though, like, I wouldn't say it's a horror movie, you know? Yeah. Although they definitely put Dead Ringers in the horror section of Blockbuster next to fucking, like, Dead and Buried and, like, Day of the Dead or whatever. Yeah. Uh, one thing we didn't mention is this is a really horny movie. Oh, it definitely is. You know, it's it's way more of, like, an erotic thriller than, than like you say, it's it's in the horror section, but it's not really a horror movie. It's it's a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some kinky, like, sex scenes, especially when you an get... An erotic art house thriller. Yeah. But there's not much of a thriller because, like, but there, I would say it's there because, yeah. you know, it's also we didn't talk about the opening where I think there is actual twins. The, the two little boys that played like the Beverly and Elliot as kids. Oh, yeah. Those fucking nerds. That scene's awesome. Yeah, they, they should have had they should have had like more of that backstory of showing those kids like maybe throughout. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because if I could give if I could give David Cronenberg a little direction, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a good setup because like those kids are just like when they go up to the little girls like, hi, will you come have sex with us in the bathtub as experiment? She's like, fuck off. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, Denver... fuck off, you freaks and weirdos yeah. or something. Yeah, you know? fuck off, you freaks. <laughs> I'm telling my dad, you talk dirty. Hell yeah. And then, <laughs> but then like those kids are so fucking. You don't even know what fuck is. Yeah. Dad. <laughs> Did we use that sound clip for something? I think we talked about it. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. You don't even know what fuck is. 
And those kids just, like, kind of walk off, whatever. And then they just build fucking, like, weird, gynecological, like, tools. But, you know, there is a lot of sex and, like, kind of kinking. And, there's, like, you know, obviously the slow dance. I I feel like maybe there's a little bit of an incesty thing between the two brothers that isn't outright but kind of implied. Like, the slow dance scene, you kind of get a little bit of something. Like, oh, they're gonna... Are they gonna? Are they gonna? <laughs> It's like what was that movie? What was that TV show HBO just had? The Time Traveler's Wife or some shit, where like it had like the kid go back in time and suck his own dick or some shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Uh, what was that? Uh, fucking Ethan Hawke Australian time travel movie, Predestination. Uh huh. Where he's like he basically goes back in time and fucks himself. Now what's with that? Goes back in time and fucks his kid. <laughs> Whatever the fuck. <laughs> because he's his kid. Yeah. You know. I mean, like, it's I a great. It's a fucking great movie. Yeah, but actually, it, also, <laughs> yeah. What what is with people time traveling and like, if and I guess that's just the thing, right? Like, if if you can time travel, if everyone can time travel, eventually, if you time travel enough, you'll end up going back and fucking your kid. It's that's the laws of time travel. Man, fucking H.G. Wells never mentioned any of this shit. I don't know. Anyway, but like, Back yeah. to the Future. Yeah, Back to the Future. I fucking hate that movie. There's but... some incest stuff there. I mean, it oh, always, always lot... happens. You, end up, happens. you end up just fucking your mom. <laughs> but then how does that work? <laughs> and, you know, that was probably at that point where that movie could have done that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it got goddamn close. Yeah. It's like time traveling just makes you want to become your own dad or whatever. Man. Freud, man. Freud. Just I I know you're the time travel expert, so it's like <laughs> I can't explain this one. <laughs> it's like, man, I went back in time. You know what? The first thing I'm gonna do? Fuck myself I'm, in the I'm, past. And boy, I just got back. I just got back in time, and boy, am I horny. <laughs> <laughs> just what is that? But I mean, thankfully, there's no time travel in these movies, or maybe there is. Thankfully, there's no time travel in real life. Because then there's gonna be a lot of people going back in time and fucking themselves, mm-hmm. literally. I don't know. Closing thoughts on Dead Ringers here. Uh, big fan. One of probably really one of the first art films I ever saw, and I think it was another same situation. Was kind of, I mean, of course it's Cronenberg and and whatever. So like that alone sold me on watching it. But I think I was duped into watching it, thinking it was a horror film, and it ended up seeing kind of like one of my first art films. Back then, I thought it was way too fucking slow, and like really slow, and just like whatever. But I liked it. Yeah. But now, I mean, it's this is. This is just God tier film for me, and I think upon this rewatch in particular, I might even I might even fucking move this into the fucking. Sorry, Videodrome. Like maybe this is the best fucking Cronenberg. You know, that's it's kind of a fair point. Like, I I gotta think about this because I, I don't disagree with it because I feel like Videodrome kind of hit a plateau, mm-hmm. and I think for a lot of different reasons. Maybe you have the same reason I do. It, it became everyone's favorite movie for a bit. Yeah. When like this is this is the this is the adult choice, you know. This is the yeah. gro- this is the grown up cinephile's choice of of Cronenberg. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I'm declaring that now. Yeah, it's like you know when you're in your teens and twenties, like you know, video drums the shit. But when you get older, you once know, you get into your <laughs> once you get into your <laughs> excuse me there once you become old fucks like we are like you know you just want a little art house sensibility and some fucking twins doing a lot of drugs and dying a very sad death I don't know I mean 
I hadn't watched the movie in a while. I bought I bought it when it came out on Blu-ray on Shout Factory or Screen Factory or whatever, which one ever is the one. And I just rewatched it this past weekend and prep for that. And I just I was just taken aback just like how fucking good and how like seamlessly it kind of goes. And it was kind of nice to watch it back to back with like because I watched Zed and then I watched that. So I don't think I've ever done that before. Kind of do like comparing and contrast. Cool. I guess there's a couple other things. We can mention, you know, comparing contrast wise, like, you know, both these movies are shot 1661, which is more of the European aspect ratio. They both have pretty muted palettes, except for when there is red, it really pops. Or the, the blue. Yeah. In, a, in Z. Yeah, like when the, when there's co- a specific color, it's there for a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously twins, obviously, like, you see twins being kind of separate people, then eventually becoming one and the same. They're both like, you know, there's. You know, women that are kind of like at the forefront of why these arcs happen, kind mm-hmm. of thing. So there's a lot of common, and but I I do feel like definitely Cronenberg watched them, said in two knots, and took some notes and applied it to this. But there's nothing wrong with that because I feel like it's also completely different from two two great twin films that that stand well on their own, but also complement each other well. And speaking of twins, now this movie I think had a couple different names before it became Dead Ringers. I think it was Gemini at one point, but it was for the longest time it was going to be twins, until Cronenberg's old friend Ivan Reitman reached out and said, "Hey, I have a movie called Twins that I'm putting out. Can I please have the name?" And Cronenberg's like, "Sure," and that Twins was the one with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Taught me how to drive stick. <laughs> but all right we're gonna take one last commercial break here but when we come back i'll be re-watching listen here on the cinematic void podcast ladies and gentlemen dr beverly mantle by every scientific measure they are absolutely the same they share everything you haven't had any experience until i've had it too maybe you've got to try the movie style she's unbelievable cured me. You mean to say there's two of them? They're twins, dear. I think we should drop her then. You drop her. I'm in love with her. I'm in love if it does this to you, Kenneth. Doctor, I think there's something wrong with you. Patients are getting strange. What are they? They're working on mutant women. From David Cronenberg, who in The Fly made the fantastic real. Get him out of here! Radical technology was required. Something radical is definitely required. Now, David Cronenberg makes reality the ultimate fantasy. Dead Ringers. Separation can be a... Welcome back. It's now time for On the Cinematic Void Podcast, where we talk about all the things we've been reading, watching, and or listening to since the last time we recorded a podcast. All right, Nick, why don't you tell us what you've been reading, watching, and or listening to? All right. I've still been making my way through the Sandman comic book catalog. Uh, in preparation for that television show that I don't even have Netflix, but hey, it's coming out. So, you know, I'm reading. Um, 
just going back through those and then i'm also uh i just i just started reading and about halfway through um the wasp factory by ian banks and uh yeah it's, it's a cool one it's uh i don't you know i don't know when it came out but it's a it's kind of has like a it's it's about this like scottish kid but it has like a appalachian feel kind of like um the devil all the time but no it, it takes place in scotland and it's like this this like teenage kid that's like killed a few people and i don't know he's just talking about that shit so far i don't know it's cool but it's it's known as being like one of the darkest fucked up books of all time so like i'm just going in going in for that particular reason that's what i've been reading uh and let's see watch i've been watching uh i just saw the black phone uh which is i don't i don't see a lot of new stuff so so yeah i saw the black phone i think it's really good i'm a big joe hill fan in particular um, and yeah, I think it's a great, uh, period piece, you know, of, uh, back in the seventies when everybody was getting kidnapped like crazy. Yeah, man. You just like, you just drive a van and snatch up a kid. Hell yeah. Ethan Hawke killed it. Yeah. You oh, know? oh, he's incredible. Mm-hmm. That. Like the, you know, I'm going to cheat a little bit and say part of my watch list. I've watched the black phone too recently. Mm-hmm. Watched it separately, but yeah. like. I mean, I I liked it. I feel like they just needed something to get it more over the over the hump, so to speak, and mm-hmm. just never quite get there. But like, it's I'm not saying it's bad or like it failed or anything. It's just like I I feel like I wanted something a little bit more mm-hmm. that I just didn't deliver on. And I don't exactly know what it is, but I thought Ethan Hawke was fucking incredible. I thought the two main kids were fucking yeah. All the kids were great as well. Yeah, they they're phenomenal. Mm-hmm. The fucking one kid that beats the shit out of the other kid, man, that's a fucking brutal scene. Super sick. The uh. You know, the, the main kid's sister was great. Oh, she, you know, she was probably the outside of Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. She was the fucking star. Totally. And, you know, speaking of Ethan Hawke, he had all those masks that I think they had Tom Savini build. Oh, sick. So that, that was kind of cool. It's like, no shit, they got Savini to do that stuff. Very cool. Yeah, man. So enjoyable if it's if it's still in the theater and you haven't seen it. I said, I recommend it. I mean, hey, you know, there's a if there's a decent horror movie out there playing. Go see it, you know, for yeah. sure. Um. You know, that's not the advice I ever take, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, but I mean it, damn it. Um, and I just watched, uh, the player, uh, Robert Altman, not to uh, be confused with the big pun song. That's right. Um, I'm not a player. I just fuck a lot. <laughs> sure. Right. No, uh, sorry. I got to interrupt. Cause then I think about the lot, the loud rocks comp where they have incubus do that with big pun. Oh shit. That's crazy. Which is basically just a, a like a, a judgment night rip off. Yeah. You know, I got some good stuff, but like, you know, the, the player's great. I haven't watched in a while, but it's like, yeah. you know, Tim Robbins. It's mm-hmm. a very, I know you're a fan scathing, like fucking like, you know, movie about Hollywood mm-hmm. and screenwriting, all stuff. The fucking cast, like we're, you know, you just brought up your own letterbox. So you have it as a reference, but I'm just looking at the cast and the cast is fucking insane. Very much, much like shortcuts, shortcuts. Yeah. And, you know, like he was, he's the master of this. Yeah. Just like. It's like, how do you do a spiraling three-hour epic like this? And it doesn't feel like three hours. And, like, there's a purpose to it and all that. Mm-hmm. Like, this is shortcuts. But like, they were, they were, that was kind of Altman's comeback after having kind of a dry, like, 80s. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, that's a fucking banger. Now Now that you've watched it, I want to rewatch it. Yeah, but. man. This is definitely, um, I, I will be buying the, the Criterion Blu-ray uh, soon enough as well. But, yeah, every, everybody's in this. Whoopi Goldberg. Lyle Lovett, <laughs> fucking Sidney Pollock, Fred Ward, dude, I Harry forgot. Belafonte, Karen Black. 
Dude, I forgot to... <laughs> John we'll, Cusack. Whoopi Goldberg and fucking um, Lyle Lovett are fucking partners as cops. Like, who the fuck does that? <laughs> That's just fucking genius. Yeah, straight up a, a must-see. Oh, it, it, it lives up the hype. It's one of those movies you hear about, and like, I don't know, maybe. But then when you actually see it, it's like, oh, shit. It's like... I mean, I like Altman. I know John Carpenter doesn't like Altman, but... Okay. I don't know if you saw that. There's a clip that was like from Alt or Carpenter, maybe like late seventies, maybe in between Halloween and like sometime between Halloween and the fog. And someone asked them some opinions and you know, Johnny Carpenter has some fucking opinions. He's like, I don't like Altman, I think he's masturbatory or something like that. Oh wow, okay. <laughs> he's like, I don't think he's a good filmmaker. And it's like speak your truth. It's like I personally I can I love Altman and I love Carpenter. Yeah. But I've also seen Carpenter talk mad shit on other filmmakers. It's always hilarious. I think he bashed Val Luton, who produced, like, Cat People and all that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think he's like, would you want to see Val Luton's Jurassic Park? There wouldn't be a single fucking dinosaur in there or some shit. <laughs> so, I love Carpenter. I don't think he's right about Altman, but that's just me. Um, Listen-wise, I, I haven't been watching a whole lot lately, so that's about it, really. And I think after, you know, after watching The Player, I can take a little break. I don't really need to watch any other films yeah. I'm good for the minute um, lately I've been listening to uh, a ton of Marvelous Mark I don't know if I met or if I mentioned this last time I don't think you did um, Marvelous Mark uh, was in the Marvelous Darlings which was a band that's the guy Ben Cook who was in like No Warning the hardcore band from like early 2000s mm-hmm. on, on Bridge Nine like straight up one of the greatest hardcore bands of all time as far as I'm fucking concerned like the fucking goat uh Fucking, he's also in like currently in Fucked Up and just has always been in Fucked Up. Uh, he does a band called Young Gov. But so those two did this band together called The Marvelous Darlings. And Derek, who played drums for my band Deep Sleep, did a record label called Wall Ride Records. They put out some Marvelous Darlings singles. Uh, but so Marvelous Mark, who was in that band, uh, put out a couple records. And uh, he did a full length a couple years back called Crushin' and, uh, and an EP called Buzzy. And they're both like, it's just the sickest, like, I don't know if Guided by Voices was a little less like nursery rhymey for one and a little more into like the Beach Boys than like the psychedelic Beatles, you know, or something. So it's like lo-fi, like just like, you know, every song is that kind of like motor away, like the catchiest Guided by Voices songs or whatever. Right. Yeah. But like. So yeah, but except that there's not like three thousand marvelous Mark songs, of course. It's a, you know, but it's and it's a little like I say, it's a little more like Beach Boys, a little more surfy, almost. I don't know. I don't want to compare it to like Weezer or something because it doesn't sound like Weezer. It's fucking straight up better than that. But it, <laughs> you know? it, it's it's got a backbone in surf rock, or at yeah, least like the for sure. the alternative surf rock that came out of mm-hmm. like maybe like Vivian Girls. But like, like exactly, that, yeah. it came out when it was like it you know this this is part of like the garage rock scene yeah well actually garage rock is probably better than surf rock but like but it's but it's way surfier than you know it's surfier than even like fucking ty siegel or something you know what i mean like that shit's just reverb it's not surf huh i think i'm talking shit but uh but yeah i've been listening to marvelous mark a ton um that shit's awesome and I've been listening to a ton of uh, the Casket Lottery. I don't know if you do. You remember? Do you remember that stuff? I remember that stuff. I haven't listened to that in mm-hmm. probably forever. They were on Second Second Nature Records. They're like in the it looks like late nineties, early two thousand. Second Nature you know? was kind of like a I don't want to say emo writ label, but I guess. But emo. like a lot, I think a lot of hardcore too. So yeah, and so like I just remember Get Up Kids were on there for a while. Mm-hmm. So like Casket Lottery was two of the guys from Coalesce. Okay. 
And so I've also been listening to Give Them Rope by Coalesce. But that early uh, Casket Lottery record, Moving Mountains, is fucking just amazing, like, uh, like two, early 2000s era, like, indie rock. But, like, on that kind of, I don't know, emo is not really, I don't know. Like, I just, it's still just I, a bad I, I, word to me. I, I, I think I think that. a lot of the 90s stuff that got lumped in as emo is really just, like, mm-hmm. what became indie rock. But yeah, this is thing. just, like, indie guitar rock that's, like, it's not whiny. It's not whatever. Like, yeah. it's maybe a little wimpy, but it's not whiny. Well, I mean, you gotta think how emo evolved from, like, all those Discord bands to, yeah. like, you know. I, but, it, like it, I say, this is guys from Coalesce, like, one of the craziest, like, metal hardcore bands ever with, yeah you know so it's just like kind of super sick in that way that they could play in both of those bands and then also like the other guy in coalesce was the fucking main guy in uh uh reggie in the full effect yeah you know so so these guys were, were <laughs> yeah, dynamic. yeah w- wasn't it like the drummer of fucking yeah. coalesce yeah, was the yeah. fucking but, reggie in full effect like, guy but jesus christ man like the drummer of coalesce has to be the most crazy free jazz like you know, like yeah. it's all just weird ass time signatures and shit in Coalesce. Yeah, it's like how how do how do humans make these songs? It's so crazy. But then, like, to be able to write these like perfect pop songs, you know. I mean, that's range. Yeah, like Fucking straight a. up, super sick. But he only did it once. I mean, he put out a lot of Reggie and the Floor Effect records, and I think that only that first one. I mean, dude, we loved that first record. That first record we used to drive around and listen to, and I think, like, on that one Inspite EP, there's a fucking joke song about, like, listening to that record. Yeah. Because I remember, like, um, one of our guy, Ozzy, that was in her band with us, like, he became so obsessed with it, and that's all he wanted to listen to. Mm-hmm. So I think we wrote a song kind of about that. I mean, I was there, too. Was, I would yeah. listen to that record so much. We that goddamn. I think we went and recorded. Um, I think we we're. I think we we're getting ready to record. And we were listening to a lot of that mm-hmm. record too. So, and that, that's the one record that's not widely available right now. Yeah. I don't know why. Like, cause like I had it on my iTunes, and then like I was like, oh, I want to kind of upgrade it because I had a shitty like CD rip from like the '90s or whatever. I mean, that's how long I've had like iTunes at this point. I mean, not 90s, but like 2000s or whatever. When I, well, the CD was from the 90s, but like I ripped it for fucking iTunes in the 2000s because that's what you had used to do before you had. To get it on your iPod. Yeah. That used to be a fucking process that well, I don't have to deal with anymore. Now it's just like download. Anyway, I'm getting off track here. But like that record is not widely available and I'm not mm-hmm. sure why. Maybe someone will put it out. Who knows? Well, but yeah, that's it. That's it for me, man. What up with you? Well, uh, Reed, I recently purchased, after years of playing that fucking Mysteries of the Unknown commercial, I got, and I've always wanted those books, I got some of them. Hell yeah. I just bought them used, because they're not new. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the whole set, because there's certain things I don't give a fuck about, but like, you know, you know, mystic places, like, you know, psychic things and stuff, so I've been going through those and checking them out, and like, they're actually pretty cool. Oh, they're sick as hell, yeah. Dude, I was just, I was kind of stoked, so that's what I've been reading. And kind of skimming through and like looking at pictures. Watch, I've been on a tear, so I'm just gonna keep keep it to the minimum here. <laughs> um, we already talked about Black Phone, which I saw, so we'll skip past that. I watched Poison Ivy one through four on the Shout Factory Scream Factory box set. That came Horny. Out. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd seen the first two, the you know the one with Drew Barrymore and Sarah Gilbert, and the Alyssa Milano one, but I hadn't seen the other two and the. The last one came out in like 2008 or something like that, where the other ones came out pretty like you know a couple years apart. 
Um, first one I think still holds up, directed by Kat Shea, who's phenomenal filmmaker. She also did Strip to Kill and some other like Corman exploitation movies. And this kind of fits in that vibe. I forgot Tom Skerritt's in it. And like, I guess you probably couldn't make these movies now having like, you know, lethal Lolitas and shit like that. Um, part two is not very good. I think it's just very notorious for like Alyssa Milano being naked in it. She was in a the same director also did a vampire movie with her too, which is much, much better. But like this one just like, it also doesn't really charmed. Fit. Not, yeah, charmed. No, <laughs> I think it's embrace of the vampire. Um, yeah, it doesn't even fit the tone of the first one because like, you know, it's, you know, she's a college student. She finds Ivy's journals and decides to get crazy. She has like a professor that tries to, there, there's one scene that like had me in fucking tears because it's so fucking inappropriate. So she, her and her boyfriend fucking go to have dinner at her fucking art teacher's house with his wife. And he's like, the art teacher tries to rape her. And that's not the funny part, but like his wife and his daughter walk in on him trying to like rape Alyssa Milano's character. And the daughter like runs out side. This little girl gets hit by a fucking car. <laughs> it's just like the most fucking like, I was like, holy shit. I can't believe like that's where this went. It's the best scene in the movie, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a slog. So it's, you know, it's, it's selling point is not enough to make it rewatchable however part three holy shit with jamie presley fucking incredible 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 <laughs> fucking like you know exploitation like trash and like also has susan tyrell in it from crybaby and on butcher baker and nightmare maker and like jamie presley goes head to head with susan tyrell and susan tyrell is like a fucking ruthless actor and like holds her own like i was surprised by how much i like it it is fucking incredible trash phenomenal and then you get to part four which is like one of the worst like direct the skin of max fucking sequels yeah it's got nudity and stuff but the movie's just not fucking good yeah it kind of goes back to part two and like the lameness although like you know the, the first three are very very 90s and then like this one the part four which it definitely feels like it was just like slapping poison ivy on there for name recognition to sell this fucking hunk of shit mm-hmm not very good. Um, other things I watched, I finally saw Licorice Pizza. And I'll say this, I feel like it was Paul Thomas Anderson making a Crown International movie. Although I know the movie's rated R, but it feels like one of the PG Crown movies. Oh, it was pretty good. Cool. I mean, I, I feel like I had a good time watching it. And like, I don't think it's perfect or anything like that, but like, I really enjoyed it. And like, I was kind of surprised because like, I've heard things up and down about it but i think just overall it's like i kind of caught the very loose 70s cinema way of making movies another period piece i guess to go with black phone in the 70s just a different 70s yeah. the 70s of waterbeds and pinball as mm-hmm. opposed to child killers and vans but whatever so I, there's a whole 70s ecosystem going on there yeah it kind of makes sense you know van child killers waterbeds pinball just oh. back the van right up to the arcade. Let's go. Hop in. <laughs> That's a that'd be a heck of a crossover movie there. <laughs> uh, I also watched Watcher, 
which I know we did, uh, I think we did advanced screening or premiere screening or something for Beyond Fest. I ended up renting it on Amazon Prime. And that was good. I didn't think it was great. Didn't think it was terrible. I thought it was a good, solid film. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's bad in any way. I just feel like I've kind of seen that type of movie before and, like, thought it was comparable, well done. But, yeah, thought it could be a little... I don't want to say I think it could be a little bit better. Just like it didn't deliver on what I was hoping for to push it past like, you know, three stars to like three and a half or four. Yeah. That makes sense. Didn't have that, that extra little pizzazz or something, but I think it's solid effort. I also finally watched the sadness, which was a movie that was brutally overhyped. Sure. But I ended up liking it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's likable. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, or, or, or something. I mean, it's a fucking mean movie. Yeah. It's like, I mean, honestly, I feel like the guy made it is like a complete fucking edgelord. Yeah. Have you ever read the comic book Crossed? Which is loosely based on or whatever? I don't know if it's loosely based on it so much as just like it's the only piece of, uh, you know, it's the only like book or something that's anywhere close to that violent if you want to do like zombie shit or whatever. Like Crossed is the closest thing thing that's ever been done to the sadness yeah i mean um, it, there's even like there's uh as the as crossed went on like later volumes like alan moore wrote some of it okay like there's a, they did it for a while but it's really just one of the most violent comic books of all time i mean it's i've seen people like kind of say like this is the most violent movie I've ever seen the goriest movie i've seen other people like oh you're overselling the violence portion of it i think it's somewhere in between i think some yeah. of that gore is really fucking nasty and it's all practical effects Mm-hmm. When the dude gets the fucking French fryer dumped on his head and his fucking skin ripped off. Yeah. That shit's nasty. It, it's relentless. It it never lets up. And it's just, it just buckets and buckets of blood and fucking yeah. everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely like edge lordy. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, ex- just like the, just like the cross comic book. I mean, again, I, I, as far as I know, this is not a, you know, it's not that, I don't know if that was necessarily the director's intent or at least he would, I don't think he'd want to without getting, without actually buying the intellectual property rights, right? Like, oh, he didn't want you're to not going to want to say, I love crossed. So I yeah. made this movie, you know what I mean? Oh, but he, he definitely <laughs> skipped around. I, I think I read somewhere where someone said like, he funded this movie through his webcam business. I'm like, maybe it's just like, eh, but, yeah, yeah, it's you know fucking zombies that just turn into fucking rapists. Yeah, I mean, that's that comic book. I mean, you it, know, it's definitely. I I feel like it's it's an interesting twist. It's like the crazies, mm-hmm. like the contagion end of the spectrum. Like, or even night, having just watched Nightmare City in the theater. Yeah, and watching that, like I can see the parallels. Except like this is a lot sleazier and meaner, and like you know, it's it's definitely not a fun time. Yeah, to some extent, but like I think it's. It was actually good. I can understand why people would hate it. I can also understand when the filmmaker said some insets of stuff at Fantastic Fest that kind of like blew up in his face. They might as well remind me of that because I don't quite remember. Uh, apparently, they did a screening and they didn't do the trigger warnings. You know, at Beyond Fest, we had trigger warnings mm-hmm. for the sadness and Fantasia put it on there just because they wanted to cover their ass. Fantastic Fest didn't do it. And the, I, I know people that went to the screening and I guess the guy that did the intro was like, yeah, he's ready for a fun zombie movie. With no context, like, hey, this is pretty brutal, and there's some sexual assault and rape in this movie. I mean, a fucking weirdo old guy zombie fucks someone in, the eye, in their eye hole. Mm-hmm. It's like a fucking Campbell corpse lyric. I don't know, man. I don't know. 
But then, but then the filmmaker went out and just kind of doubled down and like, as opposed to like explaining like, you know, it's just a movie. It's just like I want to just show how brutal and horrible things are. He just kind of just edge lord it. You know, I got I got his back. I got his back. Straight up. It, 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 sorry, folks. It's just a movie. It's just a movie. But like, I don't know. It's we live in the age like if you don't give the right warning, you're gonna get yelled at. I, I, I know, but they're wrong. Yeah, but I don't know. This is I. This is not a, not on behalf of Cinematic Void. The, the, <laughs> this is strictly my opinion, but I think that they're wrong. Yep. Paranoid Futures not not available on social media. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Come knock on my door. Come and knock on my door. Okay, we're getting off track. <laughs> I don't know. I I liked it. I definitely think it's just like. It feels like the guy who made it might be a bit of a douchebag. But, but... yes, it was made by a fifteen-year-old boy. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you I know, think, you know, it was made by and for fifteen-year-old boys. Yeah, and, I, I think, you know, and, and I, the fifteen-year-old boy in me really liked it. I, I think that's probably the best way to describe that mm-hmm. movie. I mean, it's I, I think it meets the hype. I know some people like rather be on the screen, like, eh, it didn't do anything for me. I, I think it just depends on how you watch it, and like, I had enough like leeway or like enough distance mm-hmm. where I can enjoy it, you know. I think that I I went into it only hearing that it was quote unquote the most you know the most the bloodiest or the most brutal film at 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 uh, Beyond Fest. So that was that was the most I really knew about it going in. Yeah, so eh, definitely worth checking out. It's on Shutter. Uh, listen, a couple of themed bands are just kind of going back to your Casket Lottery and um, Coalesce. First band I was listening to is His Heroes Gone, which is like. I don't know how you describe it. I guess like a crusty hardcore band from. They were originally from Tennessee. Put out like three records and a bunch of EPs. So I've been kind of listening to the whole discography, which includes 15 Counts of Arson, <laughs> The Plot Sickens, and Monument to Thieves. Um, also been listening to the band they started after His Heroes Gone, which was called Tragedy, which probably at one point was maybe the biggest like underground punk crust. Stadium crust. I know a lot of crust punks that don't like them. Yeah. I think it's the melodic sound or whatever. Fuck that, dude. They're they're no effects meets fucking flux of pink Indians. I don't know. Well, I mean, <laughs> meets discharge. I mean, so I actually, I mean, I saw a live video of them playing maybe like back in 2018. One of the dudes was wearing a thin Lizzie shirt, which makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So the cool, the cool melodic guitar going on in there, where it like usually doesn't belong in, yeah. a, in a crust song. You know. Well, I mean, it, they. Yeah, his hero's goal is just more like kind of ugly sound and hardcore. But like for this band, they like it's like three members of his hero's gone, and then a guy that was in um, from Ashes Rise and some other band. Like all these dudes have been in like eight hundred other fucking bands, and they have no real social media. Just like they just put out records and people come see them play. But tragedy was like they basically took their crusty hardcore sound and put melodic, you know, guitar riffs like. I think one of their biggest influences was Bad Religion. Mm-hmm. So it's like you take like Bad Religion songs and like change the drum beat to more of a D beat and like more growled vocals. Mm-hmm. There you go. I mean, I hadn't listened to shit forever. Now I just can't stop listening to it. It's basically a listen to the self title and Vengeance. I think when I was in a I was in a grindcore band, we actually played with Tragedy when they were on the Vengeance tour. They played on what the fuck was that crust house venue? I forget what it was called, but like Barclay. No, no, it was something something bigger than that. If tragedy played, it wasn't Barclay. It was um, it was at a house venue. Um, because we played with them and municipal municipal waste also played. So 
Pretty stacked show. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's been mostly what I've been listening to. And I've also been listening to band from our high school again. Since stuck in stuck in the nineties. Uh which is Chokehold, which is a Canadian hardcore band. Specifically their first no, nah, I guess it wasn't their first full length, probably their best full length, which is Content with Dying. And holy shit. This record was recorded, written in the nineties. Everything from the sound clips, topic, lyrics, all that, might as well just came out fucking last week. Yeah. Which also tells you how far America has not changed and how a band from Canada commented so well on the dysfunction of the American dream. Mm-hmm. Like all the sound clips are from like I think a religious record or some sort, but they're cut chopping up and like using it as a like a mock thing. There's also that one like loop of like, you know, people obsessed with like the O. J. Simpson trial. And obviously we didn't have OJ, but we just had the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a pro-choice song on there. There's a anti-cop song. There's anti-gun. Bo- I mean, basically every fucking topic that's like been the hot point. On so- well, you wouldn't know because you're not on social media right now. But yeah, I don't know what's going on. So you have no clue. But like, basically, this record is like, if it would, if you told me like, hey, this hardcore band's writing about all these current topics, I'd believe it. But it's not. It's a fucking record from the 90s. Tell you what, it sure sounds like it was recorded in 1990 fucking too, though. Oh, it definitely <laughs> does. As much as I love Chokehold, they never had a fucking great recording. Man, it's bad. But uh, that record in particular is a fucking, like, the recording, everything about it fits so perfectly. It's great. Yeah, it's it's definitely our, if you enjoy, like, I guess, I want to say metallic hardcore a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. I think pe- people usually cite that that instilled 7 Inches, their favorite thing by Chokehold, but... To me, it was always content with dying. I, I think it's both. They go hand in hand. Because when I owned like that original CD, mm-hmm. which was the worst fucking CD ever. Was that Philadelphia uh, record label? What the hell was that? It was like a, not a digipack really, but it was. No, it, it came in a plastic sleeve. You yeah. had a pretty much a photocop, photocopy cover. Bloodlink? Bloodlink, yeah. And had two tracks. Track one was the Content from Dying LP. Oh, all shit. the way through. Track two was the Instel 7-inch. Brutal, man. But like they use the the sound clips are using Content with Dying is stolen and still one. So I think I think of them as one and the same. Like mm-hmm. it's just one record. Yeah. That's just me, but whatever. So that's what I've been reading, watching, and listening to. But that wraps up this episode of the Cinematic Boy Podcast. Coming up, we got we'll talk about more movies, gonna talk more about programming, all kind of stuff. And if you guys have something you want us to talk about, hit us up on social media, or at least me, since Nick's not on there currently. Or if you see Nick in person say, like, hey, motherfucker, why don't you talk about this shit? But don't call him motherfucker. That's kind of rude. It's like, excuse me, sir. I have a suggestion. And then Nick might just slap you. I don't know. 50-50 chance he slaps you. 60-40. It might be 90-10. It might be 90-10 that Nick slaps me for all this part. But until next time, see you in the void. void.